Bank Talk features thought leadership interviews with bank and credit union executives. If you are the CEO or would like to be an executive one day, this is the podcast for you. Learn something new in each episode to help with the performance at your financial institution. Go to banktalkpodcast.com for the latest information. And now here is our host, Charlie Kelly. Hi, this is Charlie Kelly. Welcome to Bank Talk. Today we're talking consumer trends and specifically spending with Katie McEntee from Visa. So let's get to it. So I have with me today Katie McEntee from Visa. Katie, thank you for joining us. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk today about just trends, purchasing trends. I mean, it's been an odd year, hasn't it? It's been yeah. super strange. So uh, understatement, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to give credit to this. Uh, you know, at least some of the the thoughts and questions that we're going to pose to you to uh, one of the folks on the Bank Talk team. This wasn't even my idea, but after I heard, you know, conceptually some of the things we'll go through here, uh, I'm like, boy, this is kind of fascinating material. So, you know, I always kind of think of Visa as sort of the hub of, of you know, what's going on in spend. And today we'll spend a bit of time just talking about that trends in spend and, you know, how that looks against last year. And then maybe just a little bit about what our listeners might be thinking about or should be considering for the future. So, Katie, I'd like to start out. In your opinion, uh, how's the coronavirus affecting consumer spending habits? You know, are there patterns emerging things you're seeing that you know you call a trend just given the way this coronavirus is rolling out? Yeah, I mean it's been a fascinating year. You know, we started out in January and February of 2020 having really strong payment volume growth, you know, running around a 10% clip. In early March with the shutdowns across the country, the US market just experienced a steep reduction in spend by over 30%. You know, since that Definite, you know, V-shaped drop. Um, we have had a gradual recovery that that started in the latter half of April, still remained at kind of double-digit de- uh, decline levels up until the very end of May, and then finally in early June, consumer spending returned to 2019 levels with with some sig- single-digit growth over the summer. And then in terms of the the overall spending habits. What we've seen is a huge separation between discretionary and non-discretionary spend. And the merchant categories in the non-discretionary spend, such as everyday spend categories, discount drug, wholesale, food and grocery, that throughout this whole period, that sectors and merchant categories have maintained positive growth, while discretionary categories such as restaurants, QSRs and travel and entertainment, some of those categories initially dropped by almost 70% and are still struggling in terms of, of growth. You know, definitely a tale of two cities there between discretionary and non-discretionary. And then one other, when you continue to peel the onion back in our, our analyses of the spend data, is that demographics, there's a, there's a separation there as well. And we took a look at three spend cohorts of high spenders, medium spenders, and low spenders, which you know are, are typically a proxy for affluence. And it's the high spenders that have pulled back 
most significantly, and in particular in spending of travel and entertainment, while the low and medium cohorts actually have had positive growth. And so we believe that that's a result of the, the rise in the non-discretionary spend that I mentioned previously, as well as the impact of the distribution of the PPP funding to those cohorts. So those are some of the key differentiating Wow, that's fascinating. I, I mean, I, I guess as I think about consumer confidence and all the things you see, you know, economically, and then as you think about, you know, where the stock market is, right, hitting new highs. And again, you know, we're, it'll, it'll be a few weeks before this gets released. But as of, you know, as of right now, stock markets seems to be going pretty well. I would have thought that those medium and low spends would have actually seen the negative growth. In other words, in other words, people would have mm-hmm. puckered up a little bit. Well, and this kind of goes into another issue is that there has been a separation between credit and debit spend as well. So the debit spend is leading the recovery and credit spend is is still suppressed. Because the focus on spending has been on everyday spend and it's leaning towards debit, the affluent customers aren't spending um, on the typical high ticket items that they would spend on credit like travel and entertainment. Oh, and that's what's really driving the the differentiation. Is there a generational piece to this as well? Is there any information on how generations are spending, you know, millennials versus Gen Z? Well, you know, what's interesting also from an economic perspective is that the baby boomers have not been as impacted by the recent job losses as much as millennials and Gen Z. The, the baby boomers, their spend capacity is going to have a significant impact on the overall recovery of spend growth. So that, that's one thing that we're seeing from our economic group. The other difference is how people are spending. You Contactless payments have become increasingly important. All generations are very interested in switching to contactless payments. But what we're seeing is that 70% of millennials are more likely to make the, the switch, whereas you know, only half half of Gen Xers are saying that they would make the switch, which is still high, but but we are seeing a separation there. And I guess the third point uh, that we're seeing is, and this is not necessarily as related to spend, but some generational differences that we've seen from, from some of our survey data is that the younger generations um, in the U.S. market are much more likely to support businesses or causes in response to the, some of the protests and social justice issues that we've also experienced this year than, than the older generations. Oh, that's interesting. So, so some of their discretionary spend maybe go into the local business or the exactly. or the local cause, where maybe a baby boomer may may be holding off on some of that spend. I believe you said that debit spend is leading and uh, credit spend is kind of declining. On the debit spend, I guess there's probably a and a, and you know not asking you to analyze the data too much, but the move just because of COVID from cash to cards. Cash is not being used as much because people are afraid of it. I would imagine that that would fall right to debit spend, wouldn't it? Or is there? Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And and we do think that's one of the other driving factors of the increase in debit spend. And and cash is now you know considered dirty. And so that is another reason that we're seeing that growth in debit spend. And, and debit is what primarily displaces cash. Oh, okay, great. You know, I think of this COVID as sort of a pandemic, you know, well, you know, it's been called a pandemic, but I'm not sure if you can use the word recession, right? Certainly, given the, you know, the V-shape spend, you know, and stuff that that was going on earlier in the year, I would probably say that certainly everybody thought it was going to be a recession. Is this different than other, you know, recessions, quote unquote? 
we've we've seen several characteristics that are what we call boringly similar to previous recessions, but there are some really striking differences as well. The trends we're seeing that are very similar, one is the consumer is being very pragmatic. They're reducing their spending and they're focused on, in terms of product, they're focused on more on cash back products versus their travel and co-brand uh, products. And they're paying down their 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 credit balances. Second thing that's similar that we just mentioned that the consumers are using debit over credit. And, and we also talked about the discretionary versus non-discretionary. And, and the other key piece is that government actions really do matter and that the PPP distribution had an immediate impact in our, we saw in our numbers, particularly um, in the debit growth. The things that are really different, there is an unprecedented shift in digital spend. So we saw in one month an increase of shift to online spend that had taken the previous three years to experience the same increase in online spend. So. Wow. Really? That, really? Yeah. So, so that's just been remarkable. Go ahead. Yeah, do you mind if I ask a sub question there? Is yeah. that related to, you know, as we as we close in on the Christmas holiday, right? Mm -hmm. Is it is that a Christmas or is that you know month over month increase? Did that happen earlier? You know, when when people were afraid to leave the house? You no, know, it happened much earlier and in the beginning. We have seen face to face transactions have been declining. Uh, we've we've actually seen. In the second quarter, half of transactions were online and half were face-to-face. -face. And in terms of re in terms of overall sales volume, two-thirds of sales volume has been online versus one-third in-store. So that has just been a dramatic, dramatic shift. Q2, half of transactions online versus half. How does that compare to 2019? Or is that the 2019 statistic? Could you give me that one more time? So in 2020, half... In the second quarter, half of transactions were online and half were in store. But yeah. probably a pretty dramatic increase from 2019, I would think, right? Absolutely. No, okay. significant shift. Yes. Okay. So I think we covered a, the next question I have, which is, you know, where are they transacting, right? Where are they transacting? Is it online, mm -hmm. et cetera? Any other trends there that you find, for, you know, that, that are of interest? But just to add another layer of, of information around that. The online transaction growth has been running between 20 and 30% since we started to recover in April, whereas the face-to-face -face transactions are still in negative growth. So oh, it's wow. really important for issuers to be very focused on their online customer experience and digital capabilities uh, and, and ensuring that that online consumer experience is a good one. Oh, that's a great, yeah, that's, and probably your customer service, right? Because, yep. <laughs> because you know, eventually if they, if they can't get through your online, they're going to be, you know, lighting up your phones probably, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. So let's just spend a little bit around uh, balances. I think you had, I think you mentioned, let me just verify, but I think you said that in general, people are paying down their credit balances. And again, I, I kind of consider that sort of a, a reactive or a pucker up sort of factor, right? You, you know, if it turns out that you might not have a job, you want to you know, do everything you can to protect yourself down the road. In general, I think it is it fair to say that that the consumers are taking a look at these and trying to pull balances down, pay exactly. off some of their balances on the credit side. Exactly. Yes. I mean, we saw in the third quarter, and this is this is Fed data that um, credit card balances are down eight percent in the third quarter, and also. 
card balances as a share of disposable income is also has also been going down. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah, and we 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 think that's being impacted by a couple of factors. You know, people are concerned about their debt obligations, so they're not they're not borrowing as much. Uh, and and also, even though there's there there has been that recovery in spend overall, because people are concerned about how long the pandemic's going to last, they're not they're not that's not translating into borrowing. There has been some survey data that that resulted in that consumers really are planning to use their stimulus payment to pay down debt or save it uh, versus spending. So we also think that is part of the reason we've seen the reduction of balances as well. Oh, I see. Okay. And I would imagine, you know, and again, you you don't have to have the statistic in front of you, but I would imagine that the fear would be a little heavier on the, you know, when you broke the categories out sort of between low, medium and high spend, I would think the fear would be the greatest on the low spend side because that would probably be the, the group that might be the most affected by layoffs and, you know, maybe potentially are working in those restaurants and those hotels and what have you, right? Mm-hmm. The ones that, yeah. uh, where, the, where the consumer money is not being spent. So what about default rates on credit balances? Is, uh, is there a trend up, down? Uh, is there anything you know about there that you could help us with? You know, are they, I know they're trying to pay them off, but are there some that don't have a job and therefore, you know, the, is there a rise in the, the number of defaults? Well, what the actual data is showing right now, and again, this is as of Q3, is that the delinquency rates have actually gone down. And again, we're attributing that to, you know, a lot of the hardship programs that banks voluntarily offered to their customers. However, we have a Visa Economics Insights team that does tons of analysis on a variety of factors. And their forecasts are indicating, you know, we, we've been running, the industry's been running the last couple of years at a really favorable charge-off rate of around 3% um, over the last couple of years. But we anticipate that in 2020, that'll probably go up to around 4.4% and then increasing again in 2021 to about 5.5%. You know, the current data is indicating what we've seen recently, but we definitely anticipate delinquencies going up. Okay. Yeah. So, so the deferral programs or whatever might be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, those are those have staved it off for for the short term, but the anticipation is those will probably climb over time. All right, well, good. I mean, this, this has been great. So let me let's spend just a minute or two talking about you know, as you know, the the Bank Talk podcast is focused on educating bank execs, right, and maybe mm-hmm. a bit of a technology focus. What are a few of the technologies and priority areas? that bank execs should be looking at in the future here? You know, what, what's going on trend-wise as far as, as far as tech goes? Well, we think the number one priority really should be an overall digital enablement strategy based on a number of the factors that we've already talked about and you know, the rise of online shopping and card not present. The focus should be on the digital customer experience. And so it's enabling customers to like have an instant issuance um, with their cards, enabling them to easily push provision cards credentials into a mobile wallet or a card on file for regular recurring purchases. You know, really the goal is just to have compelling capabilities so that you're driving top of wallet status for your card products. You know, strategically it's important because we really want our community banks to be able to capture that the the rapid growth that we're seeing in online spend, like that's where they should be focusing trying to get more market share in that growth channel. And on the other end of that, in terms of customer experience, it's also important to be focusing on the risk and authorization tools and strategies because, you know, if someone is declined online, then their propensity to then 
either use another card or not do it again is pretty high. And so you really do want to focus on making sure that that your risk and, and off strategies are effective and fine-tuned. Uh, and then the third piece is that you're reinforcing the e-commerce security messaging, particularly for debit card holders. People are okay putting their card on file with credit because they think psychologically they're spending the bank's money, not their money. And it's very different with a debit card. So reinforcing the security of debit and and e-commerce security is is a really important factor. And again, this is just maybe you educating me as we speak here, but you think about the the risk and authorization side of it. And as you talk about what the credit policy is, I think what you're saying there is you're saying you don't want that card to be rejected because of a risk policy set by the bank. In other words, uh, the triggers that they've set internally to determine whether or not a, a transaction will go through. If you can confirm that you have a user that is doing the spending, that's your user. Mm-hmm. And the transaction seems reasonable. You want it to go through because otherwise they may change cards and go to somebody else's card that that doesn't have maybe those same risk settings. Is that, is that did I get that Correct. right or is that? Yes, no, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly it. And you know, we, we kind of use the term a false decline. And that's what you want to avoid. It's, it's really looking at you, your authentication strategies. And you know, there are a number of tools and resources that Visa and our, our issuer uh, processors have. And you're know, working with your processor or working with your own internal risk strategies to ensure that, that you are minimizing the number of valid customers that are being declined. This has been fascinating. Is there anything else we missed or anything else you you think our listeners should be thinking about? Well, the, the one other piece that, that we like to continually reinforce is the importance of um, the contactless tap to pay as part of all of our issuers' roadmaps. And now contactless, particularly with COVID, has become table stakes in the U.S. You know, globally, there are countries where over 90% of the payment volume is contactless. You know, the U.S. didn't launch it as early and it hasn't been as ubiquitous here, but now you know, 80% of large merchants are accepting contactless payments. You're seeing, and 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 it is a perceived as a safer, cleaner way to to make a payment in our COVID world. But it's not only that. There is a real, genuine business case around tap to pay. Uh, we've found through our analytics, through the programs that have been launched, that cardholders who have contactless cards do two and a half more transactions a month, and typically spend seventy dollars more a month. So there's a real positive business case as well for for making sure that contactless is part of an issuer strategy. So let me ask you a follow-up question that is the card having an EMV chip the same as contactless? In other words, as soon as as soon as your card's enabled with an EMV chip, does that make it contactless? I'm sure those two aren't exactly tied together, but no, there's so the 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 underlying uh, technology and security of a chip, uh, an EMV transaction and contactless transaction is the same. However, the contactless transaction requires a near field communication NFC component that is what facilitates that the ability to you know, wave the card over the terminal. The security and the underlying transaction processing itself is the same as a chip. It's the near field NFC that enables the contactless payment that's required. Okay. And and all contactless cards will have the contactless wave, you know, both on the card and then now you know, Visa's done a lot of work with merchants across the country in terms of signage and also worked with merchant terminals to ensure that it's clear which terminals do accept tap to pay versus just only EMV. Yeah, gotcha. So so I would assume, and I don't want to get too far into the tech here, but I would assume that you could have an EMV, I think what you just said is you could have an EMV chip 
that doesn't have NFC uh, because the chip is what is where the, the near field communication is buried, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so, so there may be some older EMV chips or some non NFC chips out there. Correct. Right. I see. Thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, spending a little bit of time with us today. I mean, anyone can feel free to reach out to me directly. Um, it's my email address is kmcentee, M-C-E-N-T-E-E at visa.com. Or we also have a community issuer website that is you know, dedicated to community issuers and it has information around d- digital um, capabilities, financial education resources, a variety of things. And anyone who's a current visa issuer can contact their account executive as well. And we'd be happy to work with all community issuers on helping with the priorities that I mentioned in terms of digital roadmap and contactless or other key initiatives. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Charlie. Okay. Thanks. Well, thanks again. I appreciate Katie joining us. And uh, shortly after the interview, Katie and I had a, a brief discussion on uh, the topic around uh, home improvements and home spending. And, you know, Katie did mention at the time that that there's also a trend in, you know, home improvement and spending and, and those types of things that we really didn't get a chance to cover in, in the podcast. So I think what's interesting about this interview is that from a bank's perspective is once you understand where the spend is happening and why it's happening, I think that should help our listeners craft a strategy around not only their digital positioning, but, you know, just how they're thinking about their customers moving forward. Because clearly, you know, everything that Katie said related to contactless payments and online versus, versus, you know, uh, brick and mortar, probably holds pretty true for uh, anybody in the bank industry as well, right? So thanks again for joining us. This is Charlie Kelly for Bank Talk. Keep on learning. Thank you for listening to Bank Talk Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by Remedy Consulting. Check us out at remedyconsult.com. Dot net or banktalkpodcast.com.